Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to BR Football Ranks. Just like the football season itself, we are back in full swing. And the time has come for the rank squad to take a swing at finding the next generation of superstars that are going to emerge this season. So, from the crew who brought you, Luka Jovic is our favourite player in January and who've been repping Jao Felix since day one. We want to take a look at finding de Jong players who look set to delict us this season and make that jump from wonder kids to breakout superstars. So, if you worship the altar of the next big thing, welcome to your Chiesa. Welcome to the mount of your salvation. This one's going to be a barnstormer. And if you're listening and you're on this list... You too could be making a multi-million pound move next summer. We know for sure that Diego Simeone and Vincenzo Montella are listening. So before we get on to the next generation of superstars, let me introduce a couple of off-field A-listers in the seats next to me. First up, formerly a transfer titan, but now formally and firmly flipped to a fearless football fruit-firing figurehead. It's my man of the melon monarchy, marking misfiring Muppets with melodramatic monikers, Mr. Dean Jones. Oi, oi. And with a trending topic today that tends to his talent, Talents, shining spotlights on soon-to-be superstars, the unearther of the undiscovered, the wholesale generous dispenser of the hidden gem diaspora. It's the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. That's a lot of pressure you place on my shoulders. A lot of I pressure. hope I live up to it. You always do. By the way, friend. love the uh, melon hierarchy. Huge. This has become you're a just, thing. Dude, you're, just, you're just melon man. This now. is a yeah, guy. I used to be like a you... serious journalist once upon a time. <laughs> now I give out melons. Now, now this is how you are. <laughs> My name is Jack Collins, Il Principino, and I have the honour of being your host today as we take a meander into mystery, a wander into the winding world of the Wonder Kids wanting to widen eyes and proclaim their presence on the principal podium of the game. Before all that, though, it's time to knock someone off that podium with a carefully placed melon of the week. Dean, <laughs> who is the third lucky recipient of this award? It's time for Melon of the Week. Woo. This week's Melon of the Week is the... Piel de Sapo. This nice. is a big melon. It's, that's a, it's a hefty melon. Skin of a toad and the taste of a pear. <laughs> that's how they describe it. That's literally what it's called. Let's Piel move on. Skin of the toad. This week's Melon of the Week, sponsored by the Piel de Sapo, is Manchester City's Nicholas Otamendi. Yeah, fair a enough. touch of a toad and feet shaped like pears. <laughs> <laughs> if I was in my old job as a tabloid reporter, I would have given Otamendi a 2 out of 10 for his performance at the weekend. One of those points was for turning up on time. The other point was for putting his boots on the right feet. That is <laughs> well, all... Did he? That's the big question. Did he? Yeah, that might be up for grabs. <laughs> Look, there was little to see in that performance to prove that he actually is a professional footballer. So if you were like sent down from Mars and you were just watching this game, you'd be like, so what's that guy? Like, <laughs> why is there one clown and like 21 other footballers? Um, Jesus, this is harsh. This it is was an harsh. amateur performance. This is really harsh. It was bad. It, it was yeah. bad. Uh, slow on the ball, no awareness of what was around him, no communication with his fellow defenders, especially John Stones. I'm not sure we'll ever see them play together again in the Premier League. Um, giving the ball away, throwing his arms in the air when things didn't work out for him. I love it when he blames others for his errors. Uh, obviously, a ridiculous performance. Look, obviously, Man City losing to Norwich is a big shock and all of those things. Was it entirely Otamendi's fault? I'm not saying it was entirely Otamendi's fault, but... It is very rare. If you haven't seen this game, go and watch it because it's very rare that you see a professional footballer play so badly. <laughs> Maybe well, he has something else on his mind. I don't know. Melons, potentially. Anyway, congratulations, Nicholas Otamendi, the melon, melon of, of the, the week. week. You get the honour of starting us off with hot takes, seeing as melon of the week came first. So oh, off you go. What have you got for me? I'm liking this this new podium you've placed you've placed me on. It's it's nice. Uh, okay, so 
Chelsea fans, you're riding high after the 5-2 victory over Wolves. Tammy Abraham scoring a, a hat-trick. Man United fans, pleased to eke out a really hard-fought win over a really good Leicester side. But I'm still back in Arsenal to finish in the top four. And given what we saw over the weekends and the Twitter quake that followed, this actually does feel like a pretty searing hot take. Yes. Because, man, when Arsenal do badly, doesn't the world know about it? Every single week, I watch grown men and women overreact based on a single result. And it's the same people that will say, oh, sneaky feeling that Arsenal are going to make top four this season. Yeah, I think we can do it. One bad performance, one set of errors, one bad afternoon in Watford. Same people saying Emery should be sacked. We're worse than we were under Wenger. All these things. I just find it really quite amusing. I get it, right? Off the international break, you wait two weeks to watch your team. And you're really looking forward to it because you've been starved of that. And then they, they do what they did against Watford in the second half. And look, it's, it's, it basically renders people into screaming, shouting lunatics. And I don't really understand it, but I, I, can, I guess I can kind of see. But the point is, Arsenal were on eight points, level with third. Before the break, they battered Spurs and were really unlucky to only draw Spurs, the team that are essentially, in everyone's minds, the third best team in the Premier League. Look, this stuff happens. And Lacazette missing, Torreira on the bench, uh, an error from Socrates that probably won't be made again in his Arsenal career. Like, he's just not that player. He was very good last season. I'm not going to sit here and absolve Arsenal of everything they did. I'm oh, not going to sit here and say... In the second half. I'm, not going to, I'm not going to defend Emery for everything. I think he needs to stop playing Granit Xhaka and holding midfield. I think he needs to ditch the midfield diamonds. Uh, there are lots of things that can get better. But if you take the overarching look at it, and this is what people have done, they've taken this result, and what they've done is they've extrapolated over 38 games and say, right, we're no better, we're not making it, Emery needs to go, all these things. If you take this Arsenal team still and apply a bit of a lo- more of a long-term look at it, it's still the best team out of the chasing pack for the top four once the injuries return. And you've got to imagine at one point that a guy that has won three Europa League titles is going to figure out that he has a good team once they're all back and he can put it together and he can stop making the mistakes that he's made over the last month. You've got to, you've got to imagine that happens. I think there are a couple of bits here. If you are a team looking to, get, to nab a Champions League place, to finish ahead of... You know, Manchester United and Chelsea, who, while they have problems, are still two sides who, you know, will pick up points, who will win games, and especially Chelsea, who look to have finally find some sort of groove. You know, yes. They've played well for the first time. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so if you look at that, you have to be a 2 0 up against a side at the bottom of the league with a new manager. You have to be seeing that game out. Yeah, you you should. You have to be, as if you want to be in Champions League place. And I can understand why Arsenal fans are angry especially with some of the tactical changes that Emery made in the second half, because we need to talk about the fact that after the game, Unai Emery said that he took Danny Ceballos off because it was hot. Mm. Danny Ceballos is from Seville. (laughs) Seville, commonly known in Spain as hell, because it gets so hot in the summer, what? Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's only Watford. It was only about seventy five degrees. Wasn't but... It wasn't hot. It wasn't that hot. It was not. It, it was a nice day. It was hot. It was pleasant. It was oh, yeah, a nice it was, day. yeah. It was. It, it wasn't not hot. Sabayas should be it... thriving in that environment though. <laughs> just really <laughs> honest. Weird. Everyone from Seville absolutely hates the weather in Seville. So maybe he was just like, boss, I can't handle it. It's just like Seville. <laughs> it was too cold. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. What, what what I do understand is that when your team doesn't play well and the teams that you're competing with around you do play well and do win you kind of fall into this tendency with thinking that everybody else is flawless and that you've got all the problems. But the thing to remember here is that everybody in that chasing pack is flawed. And essentially, on the on an overarching look, Arsenal have the best chance. And they still have the best chance. Like, they're in crisis. They're level on points with third. 
That, I, don't, I don't think that um, you can ignore the fact that this team is looking a bit vengery right now. I think that there are so many traits left over from that reign that Emery, it's not just a month, it's a year that mistakes have been there. They've made more mistakes leading to goals than any other team has over the past years. Past year, um, 14 it is. Fulham have come close, I think, with 12, and Bournemouth are there with 11. So <laughs> that's, that's the kind of company they're keeping at the moment in terms of mistakes. And they've also conceded 96 shots this season, more than any other team in Europe's top five leagues. Watford, at bottom of the league, they've only conceded 56 shots this season. 96 shots they've conceded. Yeah. There's a massive problem here. And so I think that one of them came against Watford. On top of this... We should bear in mind the fact that Emery's man management, uh, Emery's messages are not being well received. Now, I'm not sure exactly why this is, but there have been a few whispers already this season that players within that squad are not completely understanding, one, what system they're playing for the season, and two, what their roles are within the different systems. And I was speaking to an agent the other day who backed this up. He said, there's just a bit of confusion in the squad, like... There's no doubt that Emery is very thorough in his, in his planning, but he's struggling to get his messages yeah, across clearly. Communicate. And that's a big problem. I got a brilliant DM on Twitter um, from Conor McMahon, and he says that this current Arsenal setup is reminiscent of Real Madrid's 2014-18 to 18 era, but with neither the success nor the skill set to carry it off. He did say now, I know you're already considering for Melon of the Week, but hear me out. <laughs> he says, a left winger who doesn't want to be one, who drifts into the centre at any given opportunity and leaves the left back hopelessly exposed, leaving a pretty immobile centre midfield to cover. Said left back basically plays as a left winger and doesn't defend, leaving our right centre back caught out in a channel, leading to error after error. A defensive midfield who somehow manages to get away with murder most weeks and yet still gets picked regardless and doesn't get sent off anywhere near as much as he should do. Silky playmakers who don't seem to be in favour. A goal keeper who despite giving an 8 out of 10 most weeks has the ability to drop an absolute howler from time to time and a number 9 who sacrifices much of his own game for the benefit of the main goal scorer and the team. Well, Leno is Navas, Kolasinac, Marcelo, Luis Ramos, Chaka, Casemiro, Guendouzi, Kroos, Ozil, Isco, Aubameyang, <laughs> Ronaldo, Laka, Benzema. He says, as I said, good. similar but with none of the world class abilities of that Madrid had team to get away with basically it's a nice breakdown. Did. I thought it was a, an interesting point. I think he's that maybe a little good. bit a bit, Negative. It's a bit, it's a bit harsh, uh, probably a little bit harsh in, in points, but you know what? That's not a bad parallel to draw. So Emery... But are you saying that they're going to win three Champions Leagues in a row? No, he does, the problem is they don't have the talent yeah. to do so, or Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> right, Dean, let's move it on. What's your hot take this week? Real Madrid are going to try and sign Paul Pogba next summer. I think most people are expecting that. But I'm hearing that on top of that deal, they are also going to try and land Kylian Mbappe. That's a lot of money. A massive double spend. Um, What's that? Six hundred million. Well, it's hard to put a, a figure on it. I spoke to someone the other day who is, is well connected at the Bernabeu, and that's why I've I've come on here with this one because I do tend to believe what he hears. It has a holds a lot of weight, and um, he's convinced that this is going to happen from the people that he's spoken to. That is a mad outlay. I mean, you're looking at two fifty probably for Mbappe. More. More. What did it cost? His, his, eventual, his actual cost when he was a teenager was like... Was like 150 yeah. or something. It, yeah. And for and Pogba, he's... you're looking at probably 100. So you're looking at at least 350. Yeah. Probably call it four. And up. Towards, well, I would say maybe upwards of towards yeah, four. Yeah, four, 450. Um, 
I mean, maybe it's necessary. <laughs> I mean, Real Madrid this season are our best, but Hazard finally entered the fray at the weekend, came on as a substitute and certainly looked sharp. But then there was also problems that came as a, as a result of Hazard being on the pitch. And, you know, there, were, there was other faults within the team once he was there. So they're a long way from the finished article. I'm not sure if the answer is to keep throwing star names into the mix, but... They're kind of running out of ideas, so it might not be. The worst well, we talked thing about it on, on the, the previous podcast, didn't we? The, the first and immediate step is to take a look at the managerial position ahead of ahead of anything else. But I also saw a report in Lequipe saying that Azard and Courtois are in the ear of, uh, of of Florentino Perez and the recruitment team to take Kante. Kante. Now, yeah, Kante is your sense. he is your remedy. Uh, if you're not going to look at the managerial position, then uh, yeah, he's the player that probably transforms your team's fortunes for the better. We should uh, have just brought Idrissa Ganigé, really. I was yeah. thinking this recently. They should have just done that. I mean, so we say glamorous, is it? I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just just to say you're throwing Kante into this mix as well. Or are we saying we're looking at a midfield of Pogba, Kante, and Casemiro? Casemiro? That's awesome, though, isn't it? How it would awesome be awesome. It would be some serious power in that midfield. Yeah, I mean, look, we said for a long time now that the the Kroos Modric tandem was coming to an end, and we're clearly seeing that. So yeah. maybe that is the next step. Maybe it is. It would also potentially, if you had Kante in there, allow you to bring Isco back into the system. It would potentially allow that, which is just probably Isco. a good thing. If you've got if you've got Kante and Casemiro in your midfield, you do whatever the hell you want yeah, up front. No, absolutely, do whatever the hell you want, and it will work. Right. The third topic, which we asked you, which of the three underachieving sides you wanted us to discuss, was as ever decided by the poll. I am sad, rank squad, that you didn't choose Valencia, whose backroom civil war and sacking of their manager threatens to do undo all the hard work of the last few years, but nevertheless, <laughs> and never say that I am not a man of the people, over 50% of you voted for us to talk about Wolverhampton Wanderers, who sit in the Premier League's relegation zone with just three points and no wins from their first five games. Sam, what is going on at Molyneux? Just a quick one here. We had a production meeting yesterday and Jack spoke passionately at length for at least three minutes about the Marcelino Valencia debacle, and you all just... Uh, Slapped him in the face. So thanks very much. But <laughs> we'll never have to hear it. But on on to well, we heard it yesterday, but they don't have to hear it. Yeah. On to, no on to Wolves. Um again, it's like it's one of those things where you're trying really hard not to overreact to certain things because bad starts happen. Um and they're at, playing well in the Europa League. And they're playing they well in the Europa League. And I, I saw a tiny tangent, but it's the same thing. You know, Norwich after the first eight or so games of the last championship season, nineteen were yeah, were in the bottom half and they won the championship. Like this, it doesn't necessarily mean something. But with Wolves, they basically didn't improve their starting eleven over the summer. They were actually very quiet on the business front. They really didn't do as much as we thought they would. Uh, Mendes had maybe other things to, to, to look at. Family Sal in 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 Portugal maybe is one is one of them. Maybe they took a back seat. They don't have that many players. Um, yeah, the squad's very thin. It's a thin squad and it's an early, early start for them. When you when you play the pre-qualifying rounds of the Europa League, obviously people think you get up to sharpness quicker, but the truncated summer off the back of any kind of international tournament early into July and playing competitive football, it very often generates in this sort of thing. We've seen it with Europa League teams in the past in the Premier League. It, it does hurt you. So the the, the thin squad plus the, the the very congested schedule early on means that they've almost... Maybe it's just a psychological thing because they have played well in the Europa League. Maybe they're thinking about the Europa League more than they are the Premier League. But what I would say is with the sale or loaning out of Helder Costa and Ivan Cavallero, not to say that these are particularly 
obvious remedies to their problems, but they've made themselves very inflexible formation-wise. And I don't think it's very difficult to guess what Wolves are going to do now. Yeah, they can no longer really play a 3-4-3. They, they, I mean, they, they switched away from that in December, but they always had the option to change it in the second half if they yeah. wanted to. They, they always had that chance. They moved into a 3-5-2 system with Jota hanging off which uh, Jimenez, which is great, but like when it's not working, what other options do you have? And they're very often coming up with very little from the bench at the moment. So lots of things going on. Um, I don't want to infer too much in it, but we saw in the summer, you, you need a couple of fresh faces in there and you need the ability to switch things up if things aren't going your way. And those are two things that Wolves are lacking at the moment. They're just going to have to hope that their regular performance from last season step it up a notch. I mean, there is something maybe interesting in the idea that if you're a Wolves fan and you know, I don't think, and I'm sure that neither of you think the Wolves are in trouble of actually getting relegated. Wolves will no, be fine. No, yeah. Do you actually just sort of bin off the Premier League, finish 14th, and go hell... Bin off the Premier League. We'll just go, <laughs> hell, <laughs> we'll just go hell for leather. <laughs> no, but like, to the point where you know you're going to survive. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. get yourself relegated, but, you know, and, and actually focus on Europa League because you've got a genuine chance of getting to a knockout stages. And, you know, we've seen that anything can happen. The manager would be sacked if that happened, wouldn't he? That's, well, would that's you? The would problem. the manager be sacked if he was in through the... If, if he you won the that group. far in the Premier League, if, I think you do in, in this day and age. Because every league position is worth so much money as well and it holds so much weight, I think you can't fall that far. I Maybe. would go I would go, for, I'd go all in on Europa League. Yeah, well, I would Wolves, too. Wolves, Wolves hadn't played European football for, like, several decades it might be 1980 I think it was the last time they played European football so to get this opportunity is absolutely amazing the fans are going to be loving these away trips I think you go for it this is a big gripe that um, Southampton had not so long ago under Claude Puel where they they made it into the Europa League groups and they got into Milan and like 5,000 of them went to the San Siro and I was there for that game and the fans were absolutely incredible and they loved it and they, they treated it as like a really special occasion and the manager just didn't you know, played Sam McQueen at left back and Jose Font was left on the bench. And in January, Jose Font left. Yeah. He went to West Ham and said, well, I worked so hard for that Europa League campaign. He didn't even play it me. It does become I'm, pointless. I'm off, situation. mate. See you later. And it yeah. was just, it's just, I think the, the mentality has to shift. So I, I'm with you, Jack. Been off 38 games. <laughs> I just think that <laughs> as a Fulham fan, my endearing memories of, you know, the best times I ever had with that run to the Europa League final. And, enough, yeah. and our season, the season before we'd finished seventh, and the season we got to the Europa League final, we finished 13th. Yeah. And it just didn't bother me at all because the memories that stick with you are those incredible nights in Europe under the lights. And, yeah. and you know, I trade it all in for those one of those again. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I would say. And Depends so what I the business to. plan is, unfortunately. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Have I you think, spoken to George about this? I, Does he I agree? I just think that they've got enough of a bond with Nuno there and they believe in his project enough that if he did say to them, management look this is what we're going to try for and winning the Europa League gets you a Champions League spot you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean yeah, it's yeah. not like Wolves are suddenly going to become top four yeah yeah so you know maybe it's that right we will be back after the break to talk emerging superstars thank you boys for your hot takes yep you lot don't go anywhere Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time for this week's big ranking. Today, we're going to be talking about the most exciting teenage talents emerging in Europe this year. Before we start, though, we need to lay down a few ground rules. So, firstly... They have to be teenagers. Only teenagers, (laughs) which rules out the likes of Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham. And anyone else? 20 or above. Anyone else 20 yeah. or above. Dean. Dean can't be in part of it either. Or 12 or below. Despite the way I look, I'm not a teenager. <laughs> Secondly, you can't have already had a big money move, which rules out the likes of Jao Felix. 
And thirdly, you can't have already broken out. So the likes of Kai Havertz and Jaden Sancho are also off the table. Yeah, you know those guys. You don't need me to tell you about Sancho and Havertz and Felix. You want me to tell you about the next iteration. Mm-hmm. Of next those. generation. So, Sam. So I'll try. Fire away. Hope so uh, before we begin as well, there's I've written uh, 10 breakout candidates for the Champions League campaign, which is on BR app and BR website. It was published yesterday. So there's a little bit of crossover here, but I've introduced some new names as well. But if you get to the end of this, and you're like, oh, I could do with um, could do with 10 more of those, then head onto the app and you can take a look. That's not restricted to teenagers. There's even a 24-year-old in there. I had a right laugh with it, so enjoy. There's two 24-year-olds. A right laugh. Actually, that's true, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't ruin it, though. But yeah, you are right. I you are right. Are. So number five, uh, we'll go with a Chelsea man, maybe to make up for the lack of Mount and Tammy Abraham, but nah, not really, because he's here on merit. It's Reese James, not... The comedian that we've had on this show three or four times now. Friend not of the pod. Yeah, Tottenham fan Reese James. It's actually he's, there's one there's another Reese James. He's a professional footballer for Chelsea. Spent last season on loan at Wigan and Did. was absolutely amazing. Looks like he was basically gonna play in this Chelsea team this season and then got injured over the summer. Quite a bad was it an ankle injury, I think it was. It was a it was quite a bad one, a couple of months, and he's just working his way back to full fitness. Now, in considering this, I thought. Now, Lampard's not going to chuck him in the deep end, is he? Like, he'll probably be a bit more cautious. But then, like, what's the difference between Rhys James, who dominated the championship with Wigan, and Mason Mount, who dominated the same division for Derby? Like, Frank Lampard has the faith in these players. He'll probably just throw him in. I, did, particularly, I know James did better in the championship than I would, Mount did I would, Derby. I would agree. And given that Azpilicueta was the first ever Mel of the Week, <laughs> and Lampard listens to the pod... Yeah, he does, yeah. So he probably thinks, well, Rhys James can't come back quick enough. Um, so here we go right back centre mid centre back bit of left back as well he plays so many different positions and that is because he's so well rounded as a footballer he doesn't really have a weakness he's quite short I guess if you could put Kante short and he's really good at midfield so who cares Reese James is so well rounded good crosser really good physically can just kind of rumble up and down and could end up as a box to box could end up as a flying wing back I don't know exactly what it is but what that's so much potential to be harnessed there and Lampard is, has proven that he can do that with, with players. And I'm interested to see where exactly where this goes. It's got a really powerful kind of squat build, like Jack Collins, but more of an athlete. Very muscular and powerful, but good at dribbling. In fact, is he barrel club? Yeah, he might be. He's nearly six foot. Hang on, he's, he's literally 5'11". Nah, I don't he know. Is. I don't know. He, he's nearly six foot. I he's only he... short if you're talking centre-backs or you. Yeah, true. Like, yeah. he's actually reasonably tall Everyone, for the rest of us. Everyone's short to me. So, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> right, but ro- roll it all together. It's, it's, it's a pretty, he's a pretty ferocious prospect, actually. He's unbelievable. Um, and Dean, last week he wrote a piece for BR, which was the changes that Lampard is employing uh, at Chelsea. Uh, one of the things you picked up on was the energy uh, and the speed at which they're playing. He seems perfect to me. He is perfect. And I think what else you've got to think about with Lampard picking young players is that it really suits him right now because the style of play that he's trying to introduce, he wants people that are definitely going to buy into it. I think that's why you see Abraham up front instead of Batshuayi or Giroud is because he knows that it's in these kids' interest to listen to him and just carry out exactly what they're asked to do. Mm. And that's why we're seeing such results from him. I think in Rhys James, he's got someone he'll be able to trust 100%. And I think in Rhys James as well, you're not just getting the fullback, which everyone's expecting. And it's where he'll start. He, he probably will start playing on that right side of defence when we see him for Chelsea. Maybe even the left depends who's, who's fit or who's not. But eventually, from speaking to coaches at Chelsea who have worked with him in the academy and stuff, they think there's a very good chance he ends up as a box-to-box midfielder. Like 
they, there's no limit on what this guy's going to do in the game. And I think that this season is going to be his, his big breakout. Obviously, he did start to emerge with Wigan last season, but that's not the biggest stage. This is the big stage. And it's a no-lose for Chelsea to start putting him in there once they can. I think, I think they have more problems at right-back than they do at centre midfield right yeah. now. And, that's not, and, and, you know, with the likes of Loftus-Cheek to come back as well, Chelsea do have options in yeah. the middle. I think the only one thing I'll say is that Lampard the other day really defended Aspilicueta and he doesn't want to kill him. He's like, look, guys are going to go through bad spells and he's the captain. He's my yeah. man. I completely trust him. So he's not going to just drop him I don't think he will no but also they went to three at the back of the weekend which opens things up it does make things interesting yeah, especially for someone as Billiquette who can play in both positions totally. so, and Reese James and can Reece play James. in both positions exactly yeah. I mean the thing is he started off at right back for Wigan and they just found that he was so influential with the ball at his feet they had, to, they had to move him inside they just got to get this guy on the ball as much as possible where can he get the greatest impact yeah but Wigan was scrapping for a, to stay in the, in the championship whereas yeah. Chelsea will be you know hoping scrapping to, to stay in the Premier League mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah but you'd hoping for a kick but on and get your Europa League place. It's, so, a, it's, a, it's a smart footballer. You just, you just, you just get, so you get him involved. He makes the right decisions. He can do pretty much everything. Absolutely. Um, we like yeah. him a lot. Which I, th- is I number five. think he's exceptional, frankly. Right. Uh, who have you got at number four? Number four is Dominic Soboslai. Easy for you to say. It is easy for me to say because I spent all of yesterday practicing. <laughs> I call him Sobolevsky. <laughs> okay that's uh, not acceptable that is not his name yes so, I looked at it a million times and just can't get my head around I, I usually quite good I messaged a Hungarian uh, football writer called Thomas Mortimer to check exactly how to say it and actually it's deceptively easy I would say what is it say again Zoboslai Zoboslai oh, yeah, really Dominic easy. Zoboslai like just take the Z's out and you've got Zoboslai but it's here weird we go. How Zs just confuse me, and I just say letters that aren't even there. Yeah, what like whatever you just said a minute ago. Absolutely, <laughs> nothing like that really. Anyway, this man. So what I want to say here is, I just want to, I want to, I want to say that he has a lovely, lovely, lovely right foot, and I feel like we don't say this enough about right footers. He's he hits the ball so well. It hits. He hits it in such a way that it's just so entrancing, and I feel like this lingo is only ever reserved for left footers. Mm-hmm. People say you have got a wand of a left foot. But then no one says that about right footers because they're so much more common. So we're giving Dominic his credit here. He strikes the ball in such a fashion. It's so, it's so, the way he cuts it and the way he finds angles for passes, it's just so entrancing. And it's kind of David Silver-esque with the way he uses the ball, the angles he picks and the passes he finds and the way he sees things maybe through the back of his head sometimes or he's looking one way and passes it the other and it completely flummoxes defenders. Before you go too deep, on our friend Dominic yes. you haven't explained who he plays for or where he comes from or anything so you probably should do that that's a good point right okay Red Bull South oh sorry I'm not supposed to say that RB Salzburg 18 years of age centre mid or left mid or attacking mid from Hungary and you're going to get to see this guy because RB Salzburg are in the Champions League this yes. season they've got a pretty serious group Liverpool and Napoli. They also have some serious talent in the ranks. They do indeed. So it's a, it's a serious test. It's going to be really nice to see how these guys get on. So if you're a Liverpool or a Napoli fan, you're going to see this guy twice. He is a starting player for RB Salzburg. Uh, he already has five caps for Hungary and has scored the goal. And this is one goal he's got for them, really another, another really brilliant trait of his free kicks, set pieces. He scored directly from a free kick. He takes all of Salzburg's free kicks. Again, he has the option of caressing it into the net as he does a little bit David Luiz like where you sort of side foot it but, he, but it powers in really flummoxes uh, goalkeepers or again he finds that really clever angle and run that no one's actually seen he's quite a big guy he's about 6'1 I think which according to your official moment is still big that's exceptionally still tall. tall so he's tall 
And he can stride forward. He can stride forward and he can move with the ball and he can sort of break the lines. But you probably don't want him to do that. You want him to be picking passes and picking angles. So as long as you've got runners running off Soboslai, he will find you. And he is a real magician with the ball, I think. Excellent. That's a that's a nice description. I, I think he's it's just the way he hits it. I, I've got you know it's it's yeah it's just, kind of e- easy to undersell this. Yeah. The way that the ball sort of spins away from him and and sort of curls around defenders and you know sometimes you see those passes and they're like oh look at this impossible pass. Mm. He does this reasonably regularly and just sort of drops it in in front of someone and spins it back or yeah. And I think that's probably his best trait. You know, like you say, the kind of size of him and and where he plays could almost immediately get you to talk about uh, Milinkovic-Savic or a Pogba and yeah. those kind of... He, he's built in that kind of he, way. He might he might end up at 6263 because he's still growing at 18. Absolutely. So we don't know, but he's so fluid. But he's, yeah, he's much more... I don't think much more capable because both of those players are exceptionally good football players, but he's much more look up and deliver it immediately rather than get on the ball and yeah. drive forward. See, if you combine that size and that eventual kind of, if you think he's going to end up at 6263, so quite an imposing guy, but his best traits are, of course, how technically sweet he is and how he sweeps around. Really, your best comparison is Pogba. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it's like a Hungarian Pogba. God, what have I just done to him? <laughs> Sorry, Dominic. Listen, man, just just progress at your own rate. Don't listen to us. Uh, but he's 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 so good. He's so nice to watch. I guess that is he's that probably does give the audience a little idea of exactly what we're talking about. Absolutely right. Who's in at number three? Someone who's going to be more familiar to our audience than Zobozlai, I guess, is uh, Serginho Dest. Uh, almost tempted to throw it to Dean here because earlier he told me that he knows everything there is to know about Serginho Dest. But I'm will... working on a massive feature on Dest, ready for the way that he takes over the world. Okay, all right. Well, okay. So for those who don't know him, uh, I feel yeah. like you've got you know you've got to give people what they need to know, mate. So, very very exciting potential new face of the U.S. national team coming through. Now I know we've had a lot, quite a few of those um, from Tim Weir through to Christian Pulisic, but Dest is the is one is the one player I'd say from the under twenty World Cup squad who were brilliant, and it's given the USA a lot of reasons to be very excited about the future of their football. Dest was Dest is the one that is making the big breakthrough at the top stage. So plays an explosive right back, really, really direct and really fast and really decisive in that final third. And has played a little bit of time in midfield as well as Ajax kind of move their pieces around, swap him and Masrawi around a little bit, try and get try and get people used to the system and try and look at other options. He's just proved himself to be just a really, again, a really smart footballer, but someone who can do so much damage. He's really good in those tight spots. When you're up against the sideline as a right back, it can be so hard to weasel your way out of positions and when you've got limited space and he's just so, so good at it and so quick. This under-20 team, you've got, Tim Weir, you've got Soto, Gloucester, Chris Richards, Pomical, you've got Mendes, and you've got Dest. There's so many of these players, but Dest is the is the pick for me. Making Will he the... be playing this season in the Champions League for Ajax? Do you think? Yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll get some games for sure. He's destined for big things. Uh, uh, um, there's no doubt about it. Get him out. That's, he, um, that's so up my street. Go on. It's not just his ability on the ball. It's a couple of other things because I am kind of working on a piece on, on Dest and looking at just how good this lad is and. One thing that's striking is he's got this unbelievable confidence in himself. He's not flustered at all. It doesn't matter what situation you put him in, what level you put him in at. He deals with it. He's really level-headed. And he's got this American mentality whereby, because he has dual nationality, but he's got the American nationality, sorry, mentality (laughs) that 
anything is possible, I can do this. And that's what's really helping him. Like USMNT, when he, he made his debut and, and then played a follow-up game, they put him at left-back. Mm. And he's been playing all his football at right-back recently. And he took to it really well. Look, there, there was um, one situation against Mexico and he was nutmegged and, and they scored. And he dealt with that really well. It's like, okay, like as far as I look at it, it was just a really good play from that guy. And they've scored a goal. I'll learn from it. But ultimately, he did something really good and it caught me out. And I, I can't always stop that. And that's, that's such a very fair thing to say. It's very yeah. sensible. Look, he's got ambitions to go really high in the game. And to be honest, if he was to end up in Bar- at Barcelona in five years' time, it wouldn't be a surprise because of how good he is technically and the mentality he's got as well. Will he 100%? He hasn't played a competitive game yet for the United States. And as you say, he holds dual nationality, Dutch. Yeah. Is there a chance that they, the States could lose a player here to you know, what is becoming if a I was very Netherlands, exciting... I would definitely be, be trying to get... They have, been, they have looked at it, haven't yeah, they? I mean, they? They have to because he's such a talent. But I think that he definitely has respect for the fact that US took the initiative and the chance on him so early on. I think he's really enjoyed it. I think he's enjoyed finding out about that side of his life and, and the culture of America and also realises the project that they've got to build now upwards. So he's got a big decision to make and I, I don't necessarily know if he's going to make it imminently. I know that there are big games coming up. It might even be that he puts it off for, for a bit and, and just to, chooses to avoid this, this decision right yeah, now because he's, he's, he's very young, yeah. very young to make a decision like that. Well, I, I'm not going to try and speak for him because I don't know him, but what I would say is we've seen patterns in the past of teams like this under-20 World Cup team, like the US, with a collection of talent as it is, the, fe- the feeling they get from being in that squad and being around each other and having they that camaraderie, together, yeah. they grow up together and they, they, they tend to want to stick together. This is a really talented crop that Dest is part of and he's one of the headline names, but... Pomical and Chris Richards, so Pomical at Dallas and Chris Richards at Bayern Munich, they're all great. I get a feeling that they would want to stay together and go ahead and, and lead that charge mm. for the US, but what a whirlwind few months for him. Under-20s, brilliant. Ajax debut, US national team debut, new contracts last week mm-hmm. for Ajax. It's been incredible for him in 2019 and uh, it's only going to get better. Well, you expect that ceiling to keep rising. Who's yep. in ahead of him then at number two, Sam? Uh, number two, back to the depths of who the hell is this guy? Eduardo Camavinga. Ah. Who the hell is that guy? Uh, 16-year-old playing for Stad René. Okay, that's um, what I don't know. Him. I would say... Congolese. I, I don't know, man. Like, he just won Liga Player of the Month. Do you even watch football? No. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. He's, he's more he was in, behind the goal. He's more interested in melons nowadays. You can't really nowadays. see from behind the goal when you're at their game. Yeah, more interested in melons than football nowadays. He's just won Liga Player of the Month. Indeed. Now, that's not, that's not Youth Player of the Month. That's Liga Player of the Month. Like, that's a hell of an achievement. The, the youngest person ever to manage that. And the kicker for this was the... The performance against PSG, I think, um, early on in the season, a game he absolutely strolled through as Stad Rene beat PSG in shocking circumstances, and he delivered the game-winning assist. A really strange kind of deep, straight cross almost. It was. It's very hard to explain, but he, it's a Cesar Aspilicueta to Alvaro Morata delivery, which the guy headed home, and it was absolutely amazing. But away from that moment, he strolled around that pitch against PSG like some kind of Galactico in the wrong shirt. And the way he shrugged the challenges off and the way he strolled around and just picked passes looked so confident, pirouetting. It was amazing. And it's really important to note that he this is not a 16-year-old who is bossing men's football because he is overdeveloped physically. This is not a Wayne Rooney or Ross Barkley situation. He is very slight. He's physically 
underprepared for senior football, as you would expect a 16-year-old to be. But often we get players that jump ahead of their age group because they're physically mature. Camavinga is not this player. Why are you laughing? He's six foot. Okay, he's, very, he's not physically developed except the fact that he's really tall. Okay. But you'll get a chance to see him because uh, they play Celtic on Thursday. They do play Celtic. So in the Europa League, he makes his Europa League bow. That's it. I, I think it's a, an, a big opportunity for him and, and they've had a good start to the season in, in many ways. But, you know, Europa League campaign, like we said, I suppose, a little bit earlier about Wolves, is a, a big thing for, for quite a lot of teams who, you know, are in that kind of next bracket down in, in their respective leagues. And, and that's an opportunity to, you know, to show in Europe, to shine, especially for these kind of players, to really make a name for themselves. We looked at Jovic and Jao Felix last year making a name for themselves, of course, in their respective you know, leagues, but also on a European stage. And, and that's where a lot of these stories catch fire. And there's such an opportunity here to, to take that onwards and, and move into a, a bigger spotlight. I think this is a really good shout. You only have to look at the same club. Ismail Assar last season dominated the Europa League and scored that absolute, probably the best goal that was scored in that tournament. Such a good hit. Unbelievable scorcher. And he earns a £30 million move to the Premier League. Now, obviously, he's had a World Cup and an Africa Cup of Nations and things to, to really boost his stock. But... Hey, this is where people get noticed. Who's in at number one then, Sam? Ansu Fati. Wow, <laughs> he's done it. He's gone there after Four two senior games of football, three senior games of football. This kid is being spoken about across the entire world. Of course he's gone with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, can't look, ignore it. Look, right, go on then. We, well, we just, well, first of all, do the breakdown no, and then explain. No, we go back to the parameters, which is, you know, potential breakouts, teenage breakouts. And we're talking about getting excited about these young players and like... I don't know exactly what Ansu Fati is uh, in terms of position, in terms of clear best attributes, in terms of role moving forward. But what I am is really, really excited about what he brings to Barca and the potential he has. And I'm basically just here for the ride. Any 16-year-old that walks into the camp now and just produces that much swagger, you've got to respect that. Yeah, It is absolutely incredible. It's, it's amazing how these things happen sometimes in football where an injury to a, to, to a player like Lionel Messi, which is thought to be absolutely devastating, can pave way for an opportunity like this and a revelation like this. And look, I haven't seen him too much on my TV screen, but what I have seen is an incredible mover just in terms of positionally and off the ball. He moves so well. He's a really confident finisher and he runs into the box willingly. And he seems to be on the same wavelength as the top players in this team. So as Griezmann, as De Jong, as Suarez, and, and like, yeah, okay, kind of sounds easy to say, but Usman Dembele is still searching for that same mm. wavelength. They haven't given him the frequency. He's been there years. They haven't figured it out yet. And yet this guy walks into the team and is like, yeah. I think it helps, though, in, in the comparison to Dembele, that Dembele comes in with this pressure and this price tag, and Fatty comes literally out of nowhere, wasn't barely expecting to figure for Barca B this season, mm. wasn't involved in the preseason games just was called upon because of injuries in the squad. Um, yes, he's been given a new three-year contract. Yes, he's got a release clause of €100 million. Euros, but that's a protection policy. That's because Barca... They do that with everyone. They had, yeah, a player, a they had, a, they had one lad stolen from him by PSG earlier in the summer, um, Xavi Simons, and they don't want that to happen again. So this is a protection policy. They're like, no one's taking any more of our jewels, and this must be one of the most valuable because from what we've seen so far... He's incredible. He's fearless. And what's, what I really like is that when he's scored goals so far, obviously only got a couple, but he's shown so much emotion and he's been overwhelmed by that moment. Yet, 15 seconds later when the game's up and running again, it's all completely gone. He's just playing football like mm. he, he's with his friends and getting at 
you know, veteran defenders and people that have been playing football for 10 years and he doesn't care. He's twisting them inside out. He's making a mockery of people that he shouldn't really even be on the same pitch as yet. Mm. Um, he's got incredible natural talent and now we just have to hope that he's managed correctly. That I think the Barcelona crowd obviously already adore him, but they won't put any pressure on him. Like This is a massive bonus in their season and it's something lovely to have just waiting on the bench when Messi has to come off or it's something like that. It's a huge bonus for Valverde as well. He needs all the wins he can get right yeah, now. The, 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 the slightly iffy start to the season, obviously the 1-0 with Athletic Club Bilbao to begin with, and it, it smoothed out a little bit, but he's he was under pressure before a ball was kicked, and then he lost his first game. And this is this is a guy who's feeling it from the fans, and he finds positives really hard to come by. He'd take wherever he can get. Yeah, he will take wherever he can get. And although this obviously the situation was thrust upon him, out of circumstance and not because he, he'd picked Ansu Fati out and gone, yeah, this guy, I want him to be in my first team squad. It only happened because Messi got injured. Look, he, he's, got, he's got to stand by this because he, look, he's responsible for this form yep. as much as anybody. So good on, good on Valverde for trying him and then, keep, and then continuing to play him because he started him. Mm-hmm. And like the wavelength he was on with De Jong, you know, goal and assist inside 10 minutes for each of them. Yep. Fantastic to see. I'm excited about this kid. I, am. I think it's just nice to see someone from... Lamazia coming through again. Now. Yeah. I think that's maybe the, the thing that makes this a joke. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is premature for what it's worth. And and I also am excited about him. And I think, but, you know, I watched Federico Makeda come off the bench for Manchester no. United years back and then drop I off know, the face but... of the earth. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and look, I'm not saying it's the same and I'm not saying this is going to happen. I think it's different. Mm-hmm. But I just think that after three performances, it's premature to be like, this is the most exciting prospect, teenage prospect in oh. Europe. What I will say is that the kind of Mazia pipeline seemed to have run dry mm. for, for a long time. And, you know, Sergio Roberto, Carlos Alenia, we've talked about these players. And Ricky Prig. We, we, we love these players, <laughs> but they haven't yet crossed that divide to really make the first team. Alenia obviously started the season, had a bad half at Bilbao and was just then dropped out of the side completely. And it was quite nice to see him back on the bench, if I'm honest. I don't even think he was but, that bad against... Uh, it wasn't club. that bad, but he was... He was the whole team were quite poor. Yeah, and he's but, the full guy, isn't he? Exactly. So, so, but actually, to see Lamazia prospect come in and deliver this kind of thing is good for you know prospects coming through. And it, it, if that pipeline opens up again, then we're going to see more players of you know the caliber of what we've seen before. And you you hope for the good of the general game, not really even for Barcelona, for the good of the general game that those kind of talents are being nurtured and and brought through at what was one of the most exciting academies in the world that had gone a little bit stale. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's part of the excitement from from the camp now. What, like what, watching a player who has come through La Masia on, onto the bit because you're right, it had there were real concerns over the last few years that no one was breaking through and it maybe this guy represents something a little bit more. I think something, clubs something are going to have hope. to do it more and more. Now that people have got a taste of it, we're talking about Chelsea having it. We've seen Man United try it a little bit and Solskjaer's probably going to have to do it even more in the, in the coming months with Europa League and stuff. Um, and you're probably thinking, Real Madrid are probably like thinking, right, who can we quickly call up? for? Which 16-year-old have we got that we can introduce and, and get everybody inside? Well, Real Madrid's <laughs> policy was just buying loads yeah, of exactly, really good 16-year-olds. Yeah. Um, Basically. Um but I think that it's it's something that fans that is undervalued basically, and I think that it's there. Like this natural talent is there in every single club across Europe because they spend so much money and time investing in talent from the time they're like seven years old, mm. and now there's going to become more and more desire and probably more and more need to actually 
bring them through because fans, of the money being love, spent. Don't yeah. they? They all, fans always love it. And obviously in England, there's the whole one of our own culture and, yeah. and that bringing players from your academy. And it doesn't always work. And that's the truth. That a lot of academy prospects who are seen to be the next big thing or just fall away. And, and that's it can be dangerous because if you put them in, in the wrong scenario and it goes badly, sometimes they never recover. So it is a difficult thing to do. Here's, here's the thing. It takes a hell of a lot to get an opportunity to play for a top six Premier League side if you're an academy player. Like a hell of a lot. And these clubs are making mistakes with regard to talent ID. And you only, you, I'll make the example of Arsenal. We watched Daniel, Daniel Marlin score... Is it a hat five. Of four, five, five goals, five for, goals for PSV at the weekend? And he made his Netherlands bow recently and as well. For them. Did really well. And scored for them. He was at Arsenal's academy and they ditched him. They, t- they took him from Ajax, right? And then went, ah, oh, no, don't worry about it. And now he's at PSV. And Jeff Rain Adelaide, don't know how to say his name, sorry, yeah. Jeff, was, you know, sort of, I don't know, you, you kind of, all the fans kind of hung off his name whenever he was on the bench because Wenger brought him in from a, from a French team as, as a 17-year-old. They're like, oh, Jeff's going to start in the Carabao Cup. This is going to be amazing. Of course, he ended up being released. It's just time for Leon. Like, he's good. Serge Gnabry. Yeah, Serge Gnabry is another. I mean, Arsenal are trying a little bit at the moment. You've got Willock and Maitland-Niles. No, I just yeah, think in the years gone past, people yeah, totally. have been I mean, so averse to this. It's actually probably... I'm pleased we're seeing generation. it happen. Though. It's just when you see someone who was in your academy and deemed not good enough score five... Or move for 25 million euros, you think, uh, we missed one there. Yeah, we've missed, we've missed a gem there. Speaking of missing gems, do you think I missed any gems from this list? Anyone in particular that you think, both of you? Um, I don't know if you've missed anyone. I mean, I think Kubo, for me, is somebody that I think is going to be a gem. I, mm. I watched him play for Mallorca a weekend, obviously on loan from Real Madrid. He's good. And he came on a substitute and literally completely transformed the game. For Mallorca won a penalty within like 10 minutes, yeah, maybe even less time than that. Jack and I saw him come on as a substitute in the game in the summer. It was the terrible 7-3 uh, at MetLife. Oh, yeah. And he came on, gave the ball away, showing absolutely no game now whatsoever and Atletico scored again. Well, that's exactly the example of what I was talking about before, like depends on the scenario mm. and how it turns out. He did out. come on at 6-2 down. <laughs> 6-1 it might have been. I don't know what it was, but one minute later, it was Atletico, seven. Atletico yeah. had another goal yeah. and it was, right. it was kind was, of his fault. He was very good on Friday night. Um, but I think it's a good, you know, maybe this is a good place for him to, him to grow as a player. This probably isn't going to be his big breakout year either, to be honest. Like it's probably a learning year for him. Mm. Some players that I'd shied away from, Greenwood, Mason Greenwood of United, absolutely love him, but just not 100% convinced on mm. the opportunities that he might get. So just sh- shied away. Uh, Erling Haaland, uh, just because this is, I didn't this want, is the player I was going to Just on. because I didn't want to make the entire list RB Salzburg. Striker, absolutely massive. He is massive. He's a unit. He's bigger absolute than unit. He's like at least six foot four, potentially a little bit taller. Really thick set. How many goals has he got now? Because Yeah, 11 in the Austrian Bundesliga he's from a seven big, starts. He's a big talent. Big guy. Um, I just didn't want to make it all RB Salzburg. No, I think that's fair um, enough. And a couple more. Sandro Tonali. It's just that he's played like 50 games already. Um, yeah, I think and, he's nearly broken out. Yeah, and uh, I considered Elif Elmas as well. Um, but eh, maybe another day. Well, thank you very much, Sam. That was enlightening as ever. After the break, we've got Ruler and the Nonsense Rankings. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back, Rank Squad. Let's get spinny. Sam, your <laughs> honours on roulette. Would you rather be paid £10,000 a week to play every match for a top team or £100,000 a week and never play? I know what Dean's going for. Well, he's not, he's money not, man, money he's man not, Jones over there. D- Dino's not playing one second of football there. <laughs> you need something you need to know about me. I'm really bad with money. Like... <laughs> 
rubbish at saving money. I'm rubbish at paying for things. I'm rubbish at owing people money. Anything like that. So I just need as much money as I can get my hands on with as little effort as possible <laughs> to give me a chance of surviving however many years I'm going to be on this earth. Probably another 20. You've been here a while. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm 84 now. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather be on 100 grand a week whether I'm playing or not playing. I, I suppose the question kind of relies on the idea that... Hey, 10 grand a week gets you nothing these days. No, that's absolutely not true. Yeah, 40 nice. grand a month is enough money. Yeah, it's more than And that. I will play. I was I'll offered play. that yeah, on The Athletic. Do you get... <laughs> Do I, am I good enough to play with the top team? Because if I'm getting 100 grand and I have to play like this, 10 grand a week and I have to play like this, then it's probably not going to be that fun. Whereas like, if I'm good enough to be playing for the team, then I'd probably take the like, lower thing and play. Are, you, are you worried about sort of letting the team down on a weekly yeah, basis? Yeah, more the fans. I'd be worried about letting the fans that down. clash. Yeah, I think if, I was, if I'm like in the situation I am good enough to play for said team, let's, let's then, assume take, that you are. then I would take the lower offer. And me too. Dean, you absolute charlatan. Yeah. Would you rather have... A cup of tea with Raheem Sterling or a cup of coffee with Christian Pulisic? Well, I hate tea. So <laughs> coffee, Pulisic, every day of the week. You can't force me to drink a cup of tea. It's your question, Jack. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very easy on this. I'm having a cup of tea with, with my boy Raheem. We're going to have a lot of fun. Do you have, to drink, the, do you have to drink the drink? Yeah, you have to drink yeah, the drink. That's still Pulisic. <laughs> Yeah, if you didn't force have... yourself to drink a cup of tea to have that moment with Raheem Sterling. No, because I'm also quite interested in talking to Pulisic. That's so. Fine. I think I'll yeah. take the drink I like. I think me and, me and Raheem get on like bonding about growing up in West London, you know, all these different things that I feel street like street football get. upbringing, kicking the ball around in the street. Have you're a from good Wembley? Time. Yeah, you're I'm both. not from Wembley, no. 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 And I'm not. You are very similar, actually, you and Raheem. We're both on the ball. Small. You're small, both good on the ball. I'm quite good at finishing. He does you're poems as well. He also is big into poetry, I've heard. So. Both waste a lot of opportunities. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would go for a cup of coffee with with Pulisic because I've met Raheem Sterling yeah a couple of times and had a good chat we're very good friends but Pulisic never met him unknown quantity I've, and, I've interviewed him and he's he's a nice dude I so. just found out the other day he lives very close to me much nicer part of town oh yeah but he's like 10-15 minutes away from me now Pulisic are you house. doing this based on locational ability because that is the wrong <laughs> Mate, way there to is look a at Starbucks it. literally about <laughs> two minutes from his house I know I can meet him at we'll just spend an hour in there he can go home I can you're go just home. doing this because you don't want to go up to Manchester aren't you <laughs> I see bothered, you <laughs> going on who that that is the nonsense zone Sam take it away I've actually prepared two different nonsense <laughs> rankings and I just, nonsense rank the nonsense rankings you were yeah. going to do. And I thought, oh, well, let's let, let's see how I feel at the end of the Come episode on, get on with it. to see which one. So I'm going to go with option number one. And I've actually I've actually pulled in some help for this one. I sat there chatting to my girlfriend, my poor beleaguered, lovely girlfriend Rachel, on the sofa this weekend, and we were talking about the most pointless things that you do at school, the things that you did that you just think. That was ridiculous. I took almost nothing from it. Yeah, they were a pl- waste of time. There were plenty. Yeah, let's yeah. let's be honest. The, yeah. <laughs> so I asked her what her three most pointless things that she learned at school were. And uh, it's a guest ranking from Rachel. Okay. Excellent. Hi, Rach. So Hello, Rach. in at number three, how to dissect a frog. Yeah. She said she's never used that skill ever again afterwards. I said, did you take anything from it? And she said, I learned I wouldn't want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good. It's a weird thing. Isn't to be it? fair, though, if you were like stuck in the wild and you, you wouldn't you have to dissect it, though, would you? Well, you'd cut. You wouldn't eat the whole thing, would you? Just, chop, just chop off the legs. Dean would. 
Now, the legs you can eat, can't you? Same skin as that melon we had earlier. <laughs> Just chop off the legs and eat it. Skin of a toad. Skin of a toad. <laughs> so, in number three, how to dissect a frog. She's never used that skill. Fair. Number two, and the important, the important context here is that she's from Cornwall. Uh, they tried to make her learn Cornish. Our American li- listeners, can you explain a bit about Cornwall? Cornwall is the arse end of this country. No, I'm kidding. It's, but it is the, at the very, very bottom. It's the bottom. It's the very bottom. It's on the coast. It's quite withdrawn from the rest of the country because it takes ages to get there. Although, speaking to Americans, actually, takes Not ages, that long takes ages all, yeah. to get anywhere. Uh, it would be at least a four-hour drive from London, which for most English people is enough to put you off completely for the rest of your life. Minimum four. I guess uh, they close to six. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, I've yeah. never been there just because I haven't had time. Yeah, no, no it takes a week. You've to... been here, you've been on this earth forever. You must have had time at some. That sums, <laughs> that sums up how far away it is. It takes a week to get there, and it's and then you spend a week there, and it's not very nice anyway. So no one goes. But uh, anyway, people try to get out as quickly as they can. But there is a language there. It's a bit like Welsh, but uh, worse. Uh, it's a language that has already died once. It's estimated that only five thousand people speak it conversationally, and only three to four hundred people speak it fluently. So what do they do? They try and revive it. Well, they did already in the 1800s. Revival, they try and revive it again, uh, and they try to teach it in school. And the guy, apparently, who got brought in just got laughed out of the building. Mm. Uh, direct quote from Rachel. Looks like the sort of person who definitely wishes Cornwall was its own independent nation. Mm. So wasn't taken very seriously whatsoever. I feel sorry for this lad. To give you the I'm context missed. as well, I've been to a wedding in Cornwall and there are people walking around with the Cornish flag on their ties. There's a hardcore group of people who think that... I think if they could take a giant chisel, they would just get rid of them themselves from the rest of the country and just sail off to France and join them. But anyway, into number one. Apparently, they spent an entire lesson, and it did take this long, learning how to cook a jacket potato in the microwave. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Which absolutely floored me. And I said, how could it possibly take an entire... And she said, if you saw some of the people that were in my class, you would understand. Hang on. How is this the most pointless thing she learned in school? You've never had a jacket potato since. It's a good life skill. You don't, need a, you don't need an hour to do it. No, no, no. But like, still, like... An hour spent... It's you, an hour to you, dissect the frog. No, no, you put it in the microwave and you put the microwave on. How long? Six minutes. <laughs> That's a guess. <laughs> I don't. I don't microwave my jacket potatoes. Look, some people would put that. Well, you could have done with this lesson in no, the oven. No, you'd never in the oven, that. you put it in foil. Yeah. If you put it in foil in the microwave, you'd blow your house up. Yeah. I think this is an important lesson. I disagree. Well, you disagree. With, I'm gonna. You disagree. Take this up with Rach. Speak to yeah. Rach about it. I will do. She just laughed and thought, "How could it possibly take that long to learn this?" Yeah, but it surely isn't the most pointless. thing I tell you to what, learn. I think it's a good. I didn't learn how to cook a jacket potato at school, and I wish I had because I haven't eaten one. I don't like a jacket. Whatever. This would be this would be pointless for me. (laughs) No, you've had one. No, I haven't. This would be a pointless skill for me because I don't like jacket potatoes. So therefore, it could go top of mind. But if you did like jacket potatoes, what's your beef with jacket potatoes? They're just really dry. You put butter in them. Yeah, but then they're still really dry. Not if you put. I'd rather have a mashed potato. I've just all looked looked at them and think like that doesn't really appeal to me. I'd rather have a sandwich. Yeah. Oh, me too. Definitely. I'd rather have a pizza. Don't 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 look at me as the defender of jacket potatoes. I'd rather have burger and chips. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is enough. Thank you to Rachel for those for those nonsense rankings. While I disagree, I do appreciate the effort that goes into every single having a conversation with Sam <laughs> and and for putting up with Sam <laughs> on a day to day basis. So Rachel deserves all the credit in the yeah, world. Well done, Rachel. And that is us all wrapped up for this week. So what's <laughs> left me to do is say thank you to these two fellas, the A team, Dean Jones and Sam Ty. Cheers, pal. Cheers, mate. I have been Jack Collins. Thank you so much for listening. And I have one little bit of homework for you. If you haven't already, if you wouldn't mind going on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review 
and a rating. It really, really helps for the podcast to keep growing and keep showing up for other people, for new people. So if you wouldn't mind going on there, banging us five stars, writing, I absolutely love the poems. If Jack could do more of them, that would be great. Um, and, and, you know, sticking that in the comments section, we'd absolutely really, we would really, really appreciate Jack's it. run out of burner accounts to do it himself. We'll buy you a beer when help. we see you. We will, in fact, buy you all beers when we see you. So thank you so much for listening. Big love to the Rank Squad. Peace.